Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. We are, uh, we've got two weeks left in Ezra, and then I take my uh, summer break from the pulpit for a little bit. Uh, and so really, what chapter 10, there's really three different sermons in there, and uh, I've just kind of broken them up, and we're just moving through it section by section. Uh, but all of these sermons could play through the whole chapter. Last week, we talked about leadership. Uh, this week, we're talking about repentance, and repentance is a really important concept for Christians because when Jesus arrives, the gospel that he preaches is this. He says, the kingdom of God is near. So what you ought to do in response to that, Jesus says, is you should believe and repent. You should repent and believe. And for a lot of us, we have maybe heard that word repent a lot, especially if you've been a part of a church or you've been in the Bible Belt. People will say repent, but it's very rarely defined as to what it is or what it actually looks like. When Jesus tells us to repent, what is he specifically telling us to do? And it's really important for us as Christians because Jesus says this is kind of necessary for you to even understand or to experience the gospel salvation that he offers If we do not repent, then we do not experience all that Jesus has for us to experience. In fact, it's the beginning of our faith in Christ Jesus. So what is repentance? What does it actually look like? And in Ezra chapter 10, we see a beautiful example of repentance. Now, I'm going to get to Ezra chapter 10, but I want you to uh, hang on a minute because I'm going to spend the majority of the sermon up front explaining repentance. And uh, I get all of this from the text. It's all pulled out of the text. And normally what I do is I show you my work as I'm doing it. So I'll read a verse and then kind of explain what I believe that means. But it'd be really clunky if I did that through this sermon. So you just have to bear with me. I'm going to tell you everything that I believe God has kind of showed me this week. uh, And then we're going to go back through at the end of the sermon. And I'll actually read the text and we'll walk through it together. But what I primarily want to do today is look at these Uh, Three levels of repentance, if you will. Uh, Three different ways that we call people to repent or we are called to repent. Uh, And the three different ways, uh, first off, is our motivations for repentance. Why do people repent? I think there's three kind of motivations for repentance. One of those is what Jesus calls us to, and the other two is not what Jesus calls us to. And then the the other thing I want to look at is the three results of repentance. When somebody calls us to repent, they want one of three things to happen, or maybe all three things to happen. And I want to look at the third level, or that level in which I believe Jesus is calling us to repent. What does Jesus want? What should be the result of repentance, and what are the motivations of repentance? And then we will walk through the verses that Preston has just read for us. But first, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for everybody who is here uh, on this summer day. Lord, we thank you for another day in which we get to wake up and there's breath in our lungs. Lord, I pray that we do not take that for granted because you are the giver of life. You allow the atheist to keep breathing. You allow the heathen to keep breathing. And you allow us as Christ followers to keep breathing. And each day we are here is another day in which you are showing your mercy and your kindness to us that we do not deserve. We all experience grace, that unmerited favor, simply by waking up each and every morning. So God, as we come today and we look at repentance and we look at this kind of hard truth that you have called us to repent, Lord, I pray that you would help us also see how good and glorious you are. Lord, that we would repent not because we have to or because we are afraid, but because we want to. We would repent because of the love we have for you and that love that you have for us, which is most evidently seen on the cross of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and what he continues to do for us and what our hope is that he will do for us in the end. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. Amen. 
So as we first jump into the three reasons for repentance, I want to start by saying that repentance is not a religious thing. Repentance is often called in a religious context. When you hear the word repent, it's usually like a guy like me standing in a place like this. But really, repentance is a human thing. All of us are called to repent. Whether you are an atheist, a Buddhist, a Muslim, or a Christian, you've been called to some sort of repentance. If you watch CNN or Fox, you will see people all the time calling you to repentance, to change your direction, which is what repentance means. You're doing this thing, but what you really ought to do is this other thing. You should change what you're doing and do this thing instead. If you are a parent, you preach repentance all the time. Do you not? You know, stop hitting your brother. You're hitting your brother, and I want you to repent of that and to not hit your brother anymore. And sometimes the kids have the choice that we all have when anybody calls us to repent. They will either repent and obey, or they will rebel like the heathens that they are. Uh, and I, I, I was thinking uh, about it this week, and we all got a beautiful example of what repentance is like and how dividing repentance can be uh, over the past two years through the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, I, I had no idea if you had asked me in February of 2020 who the chief medical advisor to the president of the United States was. Didn't know, didn't really care. But by March, and certainly by April, I would venture to say that all of us who are adults knew the name of Dr. Anthony Fauci, because he was the doctor to the president, so he became kind of the spokesman for health in the United States. Now, even saying his name, I know some of you are like, I love that guy, some of you are like, I hate that guy, and that's exactly the point. I'm trying to rise in you the feelings that Jesus would have had in his day. People didn't all just love Jesus. No, when Jesus stood up and he preached repentance, some people vehemently hated him and they rebelled against it. And some people obeyed and they repented. And the same is true with Anthony Fauci. He came with a gospel message of good news. There was a problem. This pandemic threatened to kill us. And he came with the gospel of here's what you ought to do. Believe in me. I am a medical expert. And here's what I want you to do. You're not wearing a mask. I want you to repent and wear a mask. You're with people, I want you to repent and quarantine. Or you're with people, and I, I want you to repent by getting this vaccine. Now, again, some of you believed and you repented. And some of you rebelled because you did not believe in Anthony Fauci. That's not the point of what I'm saying here. Please do not talk to me about Anthony Fauci after the sermon. The point is that he was calling people to repentance. And the same thing that he was preaching is like Jesus, preaching a gospel of salvation and what happens? Well, half the people repent and half the people rebel. That's what always happens when somebody calls us to repentance. See, repentance is not merely a religious thing. It's just a thing thing. It's what all people do. And when Jesus calls you to repent, you will either repent or you will rebel. And oftentimes you will have conflicting people telling you conflicting things. And you have to decide who you put your faith in. You know, this doctor says to do this thing, but this doctor says to do this thing. So I've got to decide which doctor I have faith in. And then I will repent and obey the doctor that I believe in. But by repenting to this doctor, what am I doing to this doctor? I'm rebelling. See, there, there is no such thing as a completely tolerant worldview. Because simply by repenting to one thing, you are rebelling against another thing. If you are for children, then you are against pedophiles. If you are for masks... Uh, wearing, then you're probably going to wear a mask and you're going to not like people who don't wear a mask, which is why it was so divided. It, it, it couldn't have been any other way because that's what, when somebody calls us to repentance, that's what it does. It divides people. Now, when we are trying to get somebody to repent or somebody is trying to get us to repent, whether it be Jesus or Anthony Fauci or Oprah or your parent doing it to your children, there are three kind of motivations that you will use to try to get those people to repent. And the level one motivation is the most common motivation that we use. It's the easiest to use, but it's not the most effective for lasting change, which is what Jesus wants. He wants a life of repentance, not just a moment of repentance. 
That first level is fear of punishment. And you might write these down because I'm going to come back and reference them uh, throughout the sermon. But that first level would be the fear of punishment. This is what gets you to repent when you're outside the law. Now, I experienced this uh, last Sunday. Last Sunday, Taylor and I went uh, on a vacation with my parents, and uh, we had to drive six hours after the service uh, to Broken Bow, a uh, beautiful place. But when you get close to Broken Bow, you start going through all of these little small towns. And uh, the law is that you are supposed to go 55 miles an hour. It might not surprise you to know that I broke that law a lot. I don't even feel bad about breaking the law. Maybe I should because I'm a pastor, but I said, no, it says 55. I know it says 55, but I'm going to go 73 miles an hour. Now, there was one moment in which I went 55 miles an hour. You know when that moment was? When I came up over the hill and there said a highway patrolman. I repented quickly, hit my brakes, and I slowed down to what the legal limit of the law was. This is what we would call repenting out of fear of punishment. You know, I'm I'm afraid of what is going to happen to me. I do not want to pay a ticket. And my wife has already told me to slow down. And so I'm really going to have to swallow my pride if I get pulled over. So I hit the brakes as hard as I could. That that is level one. It's fear of punishment. If you're a parent, you've probably at your wit's end used this motivation for repentance. You know, you get to the point where you're just going to do what I say to do because I'm the parent or I'm going to punish you. And you just hope the kid is not strong willed and goes against it anyways. That's level one. Now, level two would be fear of consequences. So this is more like kind of like when your doctor tells you to eat healthy. Now, your doctor is not going to show up and literally punish you for not eating healthy. Your doctor is telling you that the path you are on is going to lead to consequences. You should be afraid of what you are doing to yourself, not what somebody else is going to do to you. Now, a lot of people have experienced this, or I'll say some people have experienced this anyways, where something major happens in their uh, medical uh, kind of thing going on in their life and it causes them to change their life in a major way. You know, somebody doesn't care about the bacon they're eating until they have a heart attack and they almost die. And then all of a sudden that person is health conscious Uh, or the person who smoked for 50 years, but they find out they have lung cancer and they're able to stop a habit they could not stop for decades. What is that? Well, it's fear of consequences. It's when you realize, oh, if I keep going down this pathway, it's going to be really, really bad for me. And that is usually a pretty good way to get people to repent. Uh, as parents, when you try to explain to your kids, hey, it's not good for you to do this thing because it's not going to end up good for your life. If you can get them to believe that, they'll begin to kind of change their ways on their own. But it's not the best way because I don't know if you're anything like me, uh, but oftentimes when the fear has subsided, whether that be in the first case or the second case, I go back to doing what I was already doing. So for instance, I was really scared when I saw the highway patrolman and I was going 55 miles an hour and I had both hands on the wheel for about 10 miles. But guess what happened as the highway patrolman got smaller and smaller and smaller in my rearview mirror? That's right. I went 73 miles an hour again. And I sped on the way to this church service this morning. Why? Because it wasn't lasting. When the fear wore off, so did the repentance. And the same is true for people with health issues in the second level, fear of consequences. When the consequences get further away, you know, you thought you had cancer, it was a cancer scare, but then the doctor says, no, actually you don't, we were wrong. A lot of people go back to doing exactly what they were doing before because the fear has worn off. It's not a lasting change. The third level, and this is the lasting change, is that we change or we repent because of a love for a person. Because I love you, I am going to change my ways. This is what healthy marriages, I believe, are built upon. You know, you want to have this posture of love towards your spouse. And I'm going to submit to you because of who you are. I'm doing this out of love. There's a lot of things I do out of love for my wife that I would not do on my own. 
Uh, I love my wife to death, but, you know, like, I, I, w- I would never care uh, about half the things I care about. I would never vacuum the house by myself. Uh, it's gross, but if I was a bachelor, I'd probably vacuum my house, you know, once every six months. Uh, don't judge me. But because I love my wife, I am now a weekly vacuumer, uh, which is something I never thought would come out of my mouth. But I repented, not because she told me to, but because I wanted to, because I loved her. Uh, before we started dating, I had a sports car. It was an awesome car. Got me in a lot of trouble, but I loved that car. And uh, I had a big payment on it, and I didn't care because all my money was going there. And then I fell in love. And, you know, fast forward a few years, what do I drive now? The ugliest thing out there in that parking lot, I guarantee you. Because it, it wasn't reasonable for my marriage. I mean, my car looks like a redneck car. Uh, uh, somebody, my wife's and kids, sh- she hit the garage this week. Uh, don't tell her I told you that. Uh, it was already like falling off, but now that the bumper kind of got the garage, like the bumper was literally on the ground. So what did I do? I put duct tape and zip ties <laughs> on my Subaru, which is a long ways away from the sports car that I once owned. But I do it with a smile on my face most of the time because I love my wife. Love caused me to have this kind of repentance. Now, if we take this through the religious perspective and how some of us view God, I think uh, as I've matured in my faith, I've went through all three of these levels with God and Jesus and understanding why he would call me to repentance or the motivation behind the repentance. Uh, early in my, uh, my Christian journey, it was often based upon fear of punishment. Now, I'm sure that I had great Bible teachers growing up, and, and they weren't saying this, but it was the way that I perceived it, was that basically the reason why you accept Jesus into your heart and you pray a certain magical prayer is so that you don't go to hell when you die. I mean, I, I told you guys before. I mean, I, I remember being in a Sunday school class at First Baptist Church Woodward. Great church, love the folks, but there was a Sunday school teacher in there that was not very nice. And, uh, you know, she would preach to us. And basically the whole preaching, the whole point of all of the preaching was, hey, you need to accept Jesus. And by that, I mean, pray a certain prayer so that you don't go to hell when you die. You know, we're like seven years old and she's telling us, you know, hey, do you want to go to heaven with your mommy and daddy or do you want to burn forever in the pits of hell? It's like, I'm small, but I'm not stupid, you know, (laughs) sign me up for repentance. And then after I became a Christian or a Christ follower, it was still this fear of punishment that kind of kept my behavior in check. You know, why do you not want to lie? Because God will punish me if I lie. Why do I not want to watch the things I'm not supposed to watch or do the things I'm not supposed to do or eat the things I'm not supposed to eat? Because God will punish me if I do those things. God wasn't a loving father. He was like a judge waiting to shoot me with a lightning bolt. And this was really an unhealthy way to view God. Uh, It was why when I was a kid, uh, every single night I would invite Jesus into my heart. Because I I thought, in my mind, that I had to pray a certain sort of prayer so that I could go to heaven when I die and God wouldn't be mad at me. So I would invite Jesus into my heart every night and I would ask for forgiveness of every sin I could think of. And then I would say, God, now please forgive me for the sins I can't think of. It was really, really unhealthy. Maybe some of you live there. It's fear of punishment. But for the Christ follower, we can't be motivated by fear of punishment. Do you know why? Because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus came and he paid the entire penalty for our punishment. All of it, past, present, future sins, paid for on the cross of Jesus. It is an amazing thing for us to try to wrap our minds around that if you are a Christ follower, God cannot love you anymore and he will not love you any less based upon what you do in your life. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished to tell us which was a term that the Greeks used to say, or the Romans used rather to say, this debt has been paid in full. Every sin you've ever paid for, ever done has been fully and totally paid for in the cross of Jesus Christ. We do not live by fear of punishment. There is no condemnation in Christ, the Apostle Paul tells us. 
He, he says it is the kindness of God that ought to lead us to repentance, as we sang this morning. It is not the fear of God that leads us to changing our lives. No, it is the kindness of God. And you say, well, then why would anybody repent? I mean, why would we not just live the lives we want to live if our penalty has been paid for? And if you ask that question, you're asking a question that the people in uh, Paul's time asked too. He says, what then? Shall we go on sinning so grace may increase all the more? He says, by no means. See, because if you're operating on that first level, fear of punishment, then it makes no sense. But that's not where Jesus operates. That's not where Jesus calls us to repent. Level two is getting a little bit closer to it, which is fear of consequences. That in other words, when God calls me to do something in his law, this was like a big kind of aha moment for me. It wasn't that God simply wanted me to follow his rules because he loved his rules, but because it was for my joy and my goodness. When God commands me to have a Sabbath uh, and then in the New Testament, you know, we're freed from the command of it, but it's still a great thing for us to do. When God calls us to Sabbath, it's not because he wants us to struggle at work and not make as much money. No, it's because he knows work will destroy our souls if we allow it to. And we need to rest in him and remember that we work for him and him alone and find our rest in him. See, and so when I don't do it, my repentance is not because I'm afraid of uh, God punishing me for not taking a Sabbath. It's like, no, if I don't do this, I'm going to burn out and it's going to cause a lot of problems in my life. That's level two, fear of consequences, but it's still not the best level. The best level and the reason why you ought to repent as a Christian is because you love Jesus. It's because you love Jesus. And you want to do what Jesus says to do because your love for him is overflowing. See, becoming a Christian is not about a prayer. It's not about saying a specific thing or a specific kind of prayer. Although that might be how your journey with Christ starts. That's not what it's about. What it's really about is a person. You see Jesus Christ and you say, I give everything to you. Anything it would cost for me to give up, I give it up because I love you. There's a parable Jesus tells in the New Testament about a guy who finds a treasure buried in a field. And so he goes home and he sells everything he has to buy this field because he knows the treasure that is found in it. And Jesus says, that's what the kingdom of God is like. You found Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. And so you would give everything to know and to love him. And see, when that is our motivation for repentance, repentance becomes quite a bit easier, doesn't it? Just like you repent for a spouse that you love, you repent for Jesus Christ. Because of your love for him. This is where Jesus wants us to be. And this is where we ought to be as we look to it. The the fear of punishment or the fear of consequences will never create lasting change in our lives. Uh, Say it this way. uh, Heaven is not a place for people who are afraid of hell. Heaven is a place for people who love Jesus. If you've ever wondered what heaven is like, I don't know fully what heaven is like or what the new kingdom will be like when Jesus returns. But here's what I do know. The best part of it is that Jesus's presence is everywhere. Jesus's rule and reign is in all things. And so if you do not like Jesus's rule and reign now, if you do not love Jesus now, you would hate a place called heaven anyways. It wouldn't be punishment to send you to a place called hell. It'd be punishment to make you stay in a place called heaven. I was reading a a book uh, that blew my mind uh, a couple of months ago, and it was uh, about the church fathers, some of those guys who were at the very, very beginning of the Christian faith. Uh, And one of the church fathers kind of started a movement, and there was a group of them, and they would kind of preach that heaven and hell were the same place. Now, I'm not making a statement on eschatology right now. That's a huge kind of complex subject that we don't have time to get into. But the idea of it is fascinating to me, that heaven and hell could be the same place. And the more you think about it, the more that makes sense. If Jesus' rule and reign is everywhere, his presence is everywhere, then we could be in the same place. And if you hate Jesus and you hate his rule and reign, it would be hell for you for all eternity. The world that complains about sending, about God sending people to a place called hell would be the same world that would hate being in a place called heaven. Because everything they stand for is opposed to what God stands for. 
And for those of us who are Christians who struggle with our sin and we want to know Jesus and we want to have that struggle removed and we want to be face to face with our Savior, that very same place that they would hate would be the very place that would be paradise to us. So friends, do you repent because you are afraid or do you repent because of love for Jesus? One is an immature faith and one is a more mature faith. Jesus is calling us not to pray a prayer. He's calling us to love a person. And he is that person. So that's the motivations or reasons for repentance. Now, the results of repentance, there's also three levels here. But what are we trying to do when we're trying to get somebody to repent? And the first way is we want to give them a new way of thinking. Sometimes, often when I'm preaching, what I'm trying to do is just shift your mindset a little bit. The way you repent is, hey, you were thinking this thing, but now I want you to think of it in this way. Uh, you know, it's, it's like the debates in our culture that really don't matter, but everybody gets really fired up about. Like, for instance, who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Is it Kobe? Is it LeBron? Is it Michael Jordan? Who is it? We all know it's LeBron James. But uh, all the old people got mad. Uh, but that debate doesn't matter, does it? But we're often trying to get people to repent on silly little things like that. And you might not be a basketball fan, but you've got your thing. And you want, you know, I want to convince people that this is okay. For me, I try, I used to try to make people repent about NASCAR because they would say dumb things to me. Like, it's just cars going around in circles. And man, that made me mad when I was a kid because I tried to explain to them about tire wear and strategy and the throttle control and fuel management. And then everybody's eyes would glaze over like yours are right now. And I was like, okay, there's no point in trying to get repentance here. But what was I trying to do? I was just trying to get people to change the way they saw it, the way that they thought about something. It's kind of a head nod. Okay, I'm with you. I agree with you. Now, level two of repentance is we want to get people to change something that they are doing. It's a change of action, something specific. Back to Anthony Fauci as an example. This is what he wanted you to do. The repentance that you either repented to or rebelled from was certain actions. He would stand up on national television and he would say, I want you to wear a mask. It wasn't enough for you to say, yeah, I think masks are good to wear. He wanted you to actually take the effort, even though it was uncomfortable, to put on a mask. And you had to decide whether or not you did that. It did no good for you to simply repent mentally for him. He wanted you to repent in action. This is what you do with your children, too, often, I would imagine. You don't want them just to change their mind. You know, if you tell your kid to take out the trash and you leave and you come back and the trash isn't taken out. And you say, why isn't the trash taken out? And they say, well, father... I have been thinking philosophically about your demand to take out the trash. And I agree with you that I ought to take out the trash. And the trash isn't taken out. Guess what? You're not happy. Right? I didn't want you to think about taking out the trash. I wanted you to take out the trash. I wanted repentance of action. You're saying they're doing nothing. And I wanted you to start doing something and take out the trash for a change. So that's the second level. The third level of repentance would be a new way of living. It's a posture towards somebody. I I don't want you just to repent in this certain kind of situation, but I want you to repent in all things. I want you to trust me as a person. That I do things because that person said to do it, even if I don't fully understand it. Now, this is probably most comparable to if you have a doctor and you have a terminal illness, you will find a doctor that you have faith in and you're going to do what they say to do. You're going to do it because it could save your life. Whatever this doctor says, I am going to do it within reason because it is going to save my life. I believe in this doctor. Now, this is the kind of repentance that Jesus wants. Jesus wants all of these things. As I preach a sermon, I want all of these things for you as you repent towards Jesus. Like, you should have a change of mindset when Jesus preaches, but it can't end there. We're not, we can't just be people who come on Sunday and say amen and nod our heads and have a whole bunch of knowledge about the Bible. It can't end there. And Jesus does want you to do some certain things. Like there are things that Christians do and things that Christians do not do. 
But ultimately, what Jesus wants for us is that we would have a new way of living. That in all things, we would say, Jesus, I don't even fully understand all this, but whatever you say, it's already yes. I obey you in all things. You ask me to jump, I say, how high? You ask me to run through a brick wall, I simply ask, how fast? Here's my yes. Now, what do you want me to do, Jesus? I'm all in on whatever you want for my life. This is the kind of repentance Jesus wants because here's what we know. Following Jesus is complex. And for some people, something is a sin. And for some other people, it is not a sin. You know, in the Bible, there's nothing about smartphones. You can't find it. It doesn't tell you how much screen time you should give your children. But the Bible and Jesus does speak principles that would lead us to know what maybe Jesus would want us to do. He gives us wisdom on these things that I can't stand up here as a, as a preacher and tell everybody what to do. But as we follow Jesus with a posture of repentance, which is what it is, then we can begin to follow Jesus throughout our entire life. And that's really what it is. A lot of people would think that Christians want you to do specific set of practices. You know, Blake, tell me what I'm... This happens a lot when somebody uh, is new to following Jesus. They'll say, Blake, tell me what I'm supposed to do. Am I allowed to go to rated R movies or not? Can I drink alcohol or not? Can I do this thing or that? Whatever it is in their mind. Uh, and they want to know specifically, are you allowed to do it or not allowed to do it? Black and white. But often following Jesus is not that way. It's a gray area. And what you need is a posture of repentance. Whatever Jesus says in this moment, right now, I am going to do it. So when I feel convicted to do something, I am going to do that thing because I have a posture towards Jesus of repentance. It's a posture of humility. The Old Testament talks about this. Isaiah 66 two says this. This is the kind of posture that as Christ followers we ought to have. My hand, and the my here is God, my hand made all these things so they all came into being. This is the Lord's declaration. I will look favorably on this kind of person or with this kind of posture. One who is humble, submissive in spirit, and trembles at my word. That's different from our culture, which prioritizes pride in one's own feelings, pride in one's own intellect. No, when you follow Jesus, what you do is you come with a posture of humility. Here's what I think Jesus is calling me to do, but I could be wrong. And so this is why we join every Sunday to hear God's word preached, that we might repent and not just repent mentally, but that it would actually change the way we lived our lives on Monday. That's why I would encourage you to read your Bible, read the gospel accounts every, every morning, take 15 minutes and truly look at what Jesus is saying and repent when Jesus calls you to repent. It's why the life of Jesus is so important. It's about a posture. So that's uh, hopefully... Uh, will transform a little bit of your thinking when we talk about repentance. It's not about fear of punishment. It's about love for a person. And, and it's not about a certain set of practices that Jesus wants you to do, although practices are a part of it. It's about a posture towards Jesus. Now, with that 30-minute uh, introduction to the sermon, uh, we will jump to Ezra chapter 10 now. We will walk through it. Now, just because that was the introduction, that was the longest part of the sermon. So breathe a, a sigh of relief. We only have an hour left. <laughs> You guys would love it, wouldn't you? What else you got to do today, you know? All right. Verse 6 is where we pick it up. If you remember, uh, Ezra was reading the law of God, and uh, the people came, and they were committing a sin. They've married these foreign wives. And the problem is not that they're foreign. It's not about their race. It's about their religion. They're doing detestable things. And it's a big problem because it was part of the reason why they ended up in slavery in the first place. And so Ezra uh, is trembling at God's word, and he is calling the people to repentance. And he is leading the nation in repentance. And we saw in verses 1 through 5 his leadership last week. But as we jump into verse 6, we'll see that Ezra is continuing repentance, not just publicly, but privately as well. Verse 6, Ezra then went from the house of God and walked to the chamber of Jehoahim, son of Eleshiab, where he spent the night. 
He did not eat food or drink water because he was mourning over the unfaithfulness of the exiles. Now, what do we see here? We see Ezra has the posture or the motivation of love as his reason for repentance. We'll see the opposite of that in the next verses. But we see Ezra here. He's grieving, which, by the way, uh, you do if you hurt somebody that you love. In fact, I think it's one of the greatest things you can do as a parent. Uh, At least it helped me as a kid more than anything else was when I was forced to see the pain that I caused somebody else. As a kid, what you often want to do is you hurt your brother, you hurt your sister. You want to run to your room and avoid the crying. But it is something to stand there and see somebody hurt and know that you caused it. That causes a kind of change that you cannot really put into words. In my own marriage, some of the times that I've just, man, I thought, man, I am so dumb. Is those moments in which I've said something I can't take back and I've hurt my wife. Those are the moments that reap change in my life. And what Ezra is doing here is he's mourning because he sinned against God. It's exactly why Paul in Ephesians, he says, uh, do not grieve the spirit. Why would grieving the Spirit matter? Well, it wouldn't matter unless you didn't love Him. But if you love the Spirit of God, if you love God, if you love Jesus, then you would not want to grieve Him. And so this is really, truly the motivation of somebody who loves God. Now, as we keep reading, we see the other motivation, which would be fear of consequences uh, or fear of punishment. Verse 7, it says, They, they being the leaders of Israel, circulated a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem that all the exiles should gather at Jerusalem. You guys should all come so that we can talk about this mistake that we've made. Verse 8. Whoever did not come within three days would forfeit all his possessions according to the decision of the leaders and elders and would be excluded from the assembly of the exiles. Verse 9. So all the men. How many of the men? All. All the men. You guys are good. So all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered in Jerusalem within three days. Isn't that interesting how when they threaten to take away all of their possessions, all of the men show up. You know, we're going to take all of your stuff. And I'm sure that all the men were like, honey, set the alarm clock. We're not going to be late for this one. (laughs) We're going to arrive early. I do not want to lose all of my stuff. So we're going to be there. This is the same reason why we all pay our taxes in April each year. I don't know about you, but I do not pay my taxes because I am so confident in the government to handle my money better than I do. You know, I'm not like, oh, here you go, IRS. I love you. I want to give you my money. That's not why I do it. Yeah, I, I, I give my money to the government because I do not want to do prison ministry from the inside. I was not made for prison. Look at me. I'm going to pay my taxes each year. I will complain about it, but I'm going to pay them because of the fear of punishment. The IRS will come after a guy like me. They don't go after the rich people, but they come after guys like me if I don't pay my taxes. And so what do I do? I pay my taxes. Well, the same thing is going on here. What are they, what are they repenting for? Why are they doing it? Because of a fear of punishment. They don't want to get their stuff taken away, so they show up. You see the difference between Ezra repenting out of uh, love for God. He's so distraught over what he might have done to God that he can't even eat. He's fasting and mourning versus the people who show up because they're afraid that they're going to lose their stuff. Now, it gets a little bit better on the people as we keep reading. I do think the majority of them are repenting for the right reasons. Verse 9, continuing on, it says, On the 20th day of the ninth month, all the people sat in the square at the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. It's a little bit of foreshadowing. Verse 10, then the priest Ezra stood up and said to them, you have been unfaithful by marrying foreign women, adding to Israel's guilt. Now, look, we see the results of repentance go in order here. Number one, uh, Ezra stands up and he tells them that they're sinning. What does he want them to do? He wants them to repent of mind to see what they've done is a sin. That's the first step to repentance. Like if you don't think what you're doing is wrong, then you'll never repent from it. You have to have a mental change. 
and repent in the mind first. But that's not where it ends. He's not interested in simple head nods. Therefore, make a confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from surrounding people and your foreign wives. It's not enough to say that you ought to love your wife better. We want to know how you're going to love your wife better. It's not enough to say, I I need to live a more pure life. What do you mean by that? Specifically, what actions are you going to take? How will you live differently on Monday because you've been convicted of this sin? And then verse 12, we see the posture. It says, then all the assembly responded loudly saying, yes, we will do as you say. But there are many people and it is the rainy season. We don't have the stamina to stay out in the open. This isn't something that can be done in a day or two. For we have rebelled terribly in this matter. And this is true of the Christian life. Uh, sometimes when we're called to repent, it's very easy to do. We can do it quickly. Uh, I remember as it's kind of a silly example, but uh, for me, I, I felt called when I was 18 years old. Uh, a preacher preached a message. I don't even remember the message, but I think it was about laziness or something. And uh, he talked about making your bed. And I really felt convicted. I ought to make my bed every morning. And so guess what I did the next morning? I made my bed. Done. Repentance finished. That was easy. That was quick. But there are other patterns in our life. That we all know if we've rebelled against God for decades, it can't be fixed in a day or two. If your marriage is on the verge of divorce, you can't go home tomorrow and repent and it all be fixed. It takes more than a day or two to make up for your mistakes. Ask anybody who struggled with addiction. Is it as easy as saying, you know, I repent from doing this and I'm never going to do this thing again? No. There's a lot of lifestyle factors. There's a lot of little repentances that have to take place before you get to a place of health. It takes more than a day or two to make up for decades of rebelling against God. But this is why a posture is so important. It's not about getting a practice right. It's about a humble heart that continues to return to Christ. Christ, I keep messing up. I keep falling, but I continue to trust in your grace. I continue to trust in your spirit, and I keep taking a step forward. I might take two steps back, but I'm going to keep standing up and taking a step forward in the ways you've called me to live. Verse 15. And John, you go ahead and come up as I'm closing here. Verse 14, actually. They come up with a specific plan of what they want to do. It says, let our leaders represent the entire assembly. Then let all of those in our towns who have married foreign women come at appointed times together with the elders and judges of each town in order to avert the fierce anger of our God concerning this matter. Only Jonathan, son of Ashiel, Jezehiah, son of Tikvah, opposed this and Meshalum and Shebeathli and the Levites supporting them. Those are some awesome names. If you guys are looking for kid names, I tried to get my wife to change our daughter's name. It didn't work. Verse 16, the exiles did what had been proposed. The priest Ezra selected men who were family heads and all identified by name to represent their ancestral families. They convened on the first day of the 10th month to investigate the matter. And by the first day of the first month, they had dealt with all the men who had married foreign women. They had dealt with it. They began taking steps in obedience towards Christ. And it did not uh, happen quickly, but it happened. And this is the Christian life in a nutshell. You're not going to fix it all in one day. It's not about doing a certain set of practices or praying a right prayer or being the certain religious person that you have in your mind. It's about following Jesus. And we do not compare ourselves to other people. You do not compare your life to my life. You compare your life to what it was. You know, I I remember hearing a pastor who was, he planted a church in the inner city. And uh, one of the people who were supporting his church from a First Baptist church in a more affluent neighborhood came to visit this pastor. 
And the, the church member who came from the affluent neighborhood was kind of disgusted and pretty frightened because people were literally doing drugs in the parking lot. And uh, as he walked by, the, the greeter was smoking a cigarette as he <laughs> let the guy in. And so this, uh, this church member went up to the pastor and he said, Are you aware that your greeter is smoking a cigarette? And the pastor said, Really? He said, Yeah. And the pastor said, Well, praise God. You should have seen what he was smoking last week. <laughs> this is repentance. It takes time as we follow Jesus. And we don't do it out of fear of punishment. No, that's been taken care of on the cross of Jesus. It's not God's wrath that leads us to repentance. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's God's love through Christ that leads us to repentance. And we all have a choice. Just with Anthony Fauci or with your parents and certainly with Jesus Christ. When somebody calls you to repentance, when they preach a gospel message, you have two options. You can repent or you can rebel. You can repent or you can rebel. And friends, the question is not how do we avoid the wrath of God. The question is how do we avoid the grace of God. Because he has made it freely available to all people. And the only way to avoid the grace of God is to rebel against it and to willfully step away from it. So today, friends, whether you are a Christian or you are not a Christian, I would ask you to repent into that love of Jesus Christ. To believe that it counts for you and to believe he is who he says he is. Enthralled with the person of Jesus and taking on the posture of one who follows Jesus in all things. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for this word. Thank you for your spirit who gives us the power to repent. We are helpless on our own. We are hopeless on our own. And so God, we ask that you would do what only you can do. Pray that you would lead people to a posture of repentance. I pray for those who have maybe had a lot of religion in their background or they know a lot about Jesus. I pray, God, that today they'd be enthralled with the person of Jesus. They would see you for who you are, Jesus, and they would love you. And friends, right now, if you would take 20 seconds, eyes closed, head bowed, and just say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this word today? Spirit, we ask that you would give us the courage to obey what you've called us to do. It is in your name that I pray. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing together. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.